0: Well, as we continue our worship this morning, let's uh, continue to uh, bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we're just thankful and grateful for this sweet, sweet time of worship. We thank you for just the opportunity to sing praises to your name. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, and we're just grateful and thankful for our time together. As we continue our worship in the word, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for what you have for us on this Father's Day We're reminded that you are our perfect father. You are a good father. And you serve as such a great example for us as earthly fathers to follow. And so, Lord, we are grateful to you. And in this moment, we pray what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not that you would make us. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, William Carey once said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. What William Carey was basically saying is when I get to the end of my life he was saying as I look back on it and I look back on my days and how I spent them uh, what it would be the greatest fear is looking back in disappointment because he had invested in things that were not of eternal value, that were not of spiritual value. And so what William Carey was saying, his greatest fear is looking back on his life, not having tried and failed, but having done those things that were of little to no eternal value and little to no spiritual value. He says his greatest disappointment would ultimately be to look back on his life and say, I wasted my investment of my time, my effort, and the resources God had given him. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about how to guard against the wasted life, how to guard against investing in those things uh, that really are of no eternal value, investing of those things that are not necessarily of spiritual value. So as we look back on our life, we would say we didn't waste it, but our life was meaningful, was fruitful, and was blessed. And while this message is specific for all believers, I want to take time to talk specifically to our fathers about the responsibility of a father who's been called to a life, uh, not to waste it, but to experience the blessing that comes with it. So I invite you in the book of Psalm, Psalm 127, we'll be in the first five verses together as we take some time to talk this morning about the responsibility of fathers. The responsibility of fathers and the kind of responsibility that yields not a wasted life, but a one of blessing and one of meaning and one of great purpose. Uh, the psalm is attributed to Solomon. It's a psalm that uh, finds itself within uh, the section of the, of the Psalter. Uh, that's referred to as uh, the song of ascents. And so uh, these psalms or this song would be sung as pilgrims would make their way up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple. And so uh, that's the background behind the psalm. And so as we dig into it, would you stand in honor of the reading of the word as we consider the responsibility of fathers. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, we're going to take some time to talk about the responsibility of fathers, the kind of responsibility that yields a life that is blessed, it yields a life that is meaningful, that yields a life that is fruitful instead of a life that is wasted, My prayer for all of us this morning, but especially fathers, is that as you walk through this psalm with us together and apply the principles, you would be able to one day look back on your life, and you would not look back in disappointment, having discovered you wasted your effort, your time, and your energy on those things that were not meaningful, that were not of lasting value spiritually or eternally, but that you would look back on your life and say, that was a blessed life. That was a life with God's blessing upon it, and that's what this psalm encourages us towards. And so as we walk through our text, what is the responsibility of fathers? We're going to see two things as we walk through it. The first two verses, we're going to talk about a warning to heed, and then in verses three to five, we'll discuss a blessing to receive. Let's begin in verses 1 to 2 with a warning to heed. The first responsibility of fathers that we read about in verses 1 to 2 is the warning to heed is to guard against the danger of self sufficiency, to guard against the danger of going about life and Investing in the things of life, and life can be summed up in three activities according to Solomon here. Building a house, protecting a city, or raising a family. The encouragement here is to guard against the danger of self-sufficiency and do that by depending on the Lord. Depending on the Lord to build the house, depending on the Lord to protect the city, depending on the Lord to provide for the family as you raise your family. The warning in regards to the danger of self-sufficiency is, is when you live independently of God or do not include Him in your planning, what ultimately it yields is efforts and work that is done in vain. Not only efforts and work that is done in vain, but that which does not amount to anything valuable because it's of little value eternally and therefore spiritually and what the text is saying to us in verses 1 to 2 is that you may be able to build a home. You may have protection in your city, but it doesn't mean that you will find satisfaction in it. Even after you build the house, if you do so without involving God in the process, you're, you will ultimately find yourself empty and unsatisfied. What we're reminded in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19 is that not only does God give us the ability to earn wealth or to earn money, but he also gives us the ability to enjoy it. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is a gift from God. So you may be able to build the house, but it doesn't mean you're going to find satisfaction in it apart from God. You may find that the city is protected and your home, which is in the walls of the city, is protected, but that doesn't mean you'll be able to sleep at night because you're too busy, burdened by the worries and the anxieties of life, not knowing if someone's going to break in when your trust and your dependence is not upon the Lord. God not only gives us wealth, he gives us the ability to enjoy it. I'm sure many of you have either experienced it yourself or have seen it in the lives of others, those who are very successful. They have a successful career. They have plenty of money in the bank. They may even have a family that looks to be blessed, but they can't enjoy it because of the burden of worry and stress. They can't enjoy it because they've left God out of the process of building, of protecting And of providing. How do we guard against the danger of self sufficiency? How do we depend on the Lord when it comes to involving Him in our lives, especially as fathers, first and foremost, by depending on Him to build the house? What we're reminded of in verse 1 is that unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. What we're reminded of, first and foremost, is God is a builder. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. If you read throughout the scriptures, you read about an almighty God who is creator. You flip back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you you get to hear about the greatness of God who set apart from the creation. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, before creation even existed, God existed. Why? Because God has no beginning. He has no end. He was. He is. He is to come. He is the eternal God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, when you take a look up at the sky and you take a look at the world around you, God created it. He's not part of the creation. He is the creator of it. And simply by speaking, he spoke everything into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke into existence the sun, the moon, the stars. He spoke into existence the the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the Male and female, he created them. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we come to Psalm 127 and Solomon declares, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. God is the builder. Well, if we're going to depend on God to build the house, it's helpful to know what Solomon is referring to here. Unless the Lord builds the house, Well, he could be referring to a number of things. We don't necessarily know the occasion upon which Solomon is writing. One helpful thing about Solomon is we know Solomon was both a a father and a builder. And so as we read this psalm, it's kind of encouraging to take a look at it. And Solomon was actually the guy who was called to build the temple of God, to build the house of God. And so first and foremost, this could be a reference to the house of the Lord. It could be a reference to the temple If you remember, David, his father, told the Lord, he said, God, I I want to build a house for you. I want to build the temple. And the Lord turned to David and said, no, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. Solomon was the one who was going to build the house. Listen, you can try to build a house, even a temple, but if you don't involve God in the process, either it will not come to fruition, but even if it does, it will be pointless. Without the Lord involved in the process, what's the point. So it could be referring to the house of the Lord. Secondly, it could be referring to an actual house in a walled city, a home that you're building, a structure that you're building. Uh, I know there are many builders here in our church. Perhaps, maybe you don't refer to yourself as a builder, but you've built a shed, you've built a home. Maybe you haven't directly done it, or but you work through a, 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 a uh, somebody to go about it. But what does it look like to? Uh, depend on the Lord to build the house. Well, uh, last year, uh, well, we've been in our house for about a year. And prior to that, over the process of six months, if not longer, we worked through a company who built our house. But as they were building the house, the manner in which we were depending on the Lord to build the house is we know sometimes contractors can do things that uh, don't always make the house livable in. And so there might be things behind the scenes. So we're depending on the Lord to guide and direct those contractors and to make sure that home is built well. Not only that, we're depending on the Lord to build us a home, not just a house. Not just a place that we're going to dwell in, but a place where we can do ministry. We're reminded that our house that we live in is not our own, but rather we are stewards of the home that we've been given, and we've been called to do ministry in that home. And so before we even moved into our house, our prayer as a family is, God, make this house a home where we can honor and glorify you. Where we can depend on you to invite others to our home, maybe our neighbors, our family members, our friends who don't know you, and may it be an opportunity to express hospitality as a pathway to evangelism. Uh, We pray that our home would be a place where we can invite folks in the church and do ministry, where we can serve the Lord in the home that we have been given. And that's what it means to really depend on the Lord to build a house. But this can also be referring to a family. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the family, they labor in vain who build it. As I said earlier, David told the Lord, Lord, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. What, the, what did the Lord respond to David? He said, no, I'm going to build you a house. Let me read that to you. 2 Samuel 7:27. David says this, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servants, saying, I will build you a house. What was the Lord telling David? He was not saying he was going to build David a temple. He wasn't saying he was going to build David a palace or a home. He was saying, I'm going to build you a dynasty. I'm going to build you a family. I'm going to bless your seed and accomplish my divine purposes through generations that will come from you and your family. What he was saying is, I'm going to bless your family. And so when we're talking about a house here, we're talking about a family. How do you depend upon the Lord to build your family? Two things. The first one is depend on the Lord as fathers to build your family by means of depending on Him to provide the blueprint. I'm reminded this morning that as we go about building our families, we do so around the instruction we receive from the Word of God. Not necessarily from the books we receive or the, the experience that we have, but the primary means by which we are to build our families as we depend on the Lord to do it is by looking to Him to provide the blueprint. The blueprint for the family begins with the blueprint for marriage. Marriage serves as the foundation for the family. We read about that in Genesis 1:27 to 28. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created the male and female He created them, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis 2, 24, God says, therefore therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If you want to build a family by depending on God to do it, follow his blueprint. It begins by committing yourself, if God has called you to be married because God hasn't called everyone to be married, but if God has called you to be married, to commit yourself in a lifelong relationship, and marriage is between one man and one woman in this lifelong committed relationship, follow God's blueprint. And as you follow God's blueprint for marriage, if God provides children, because he is the giver of that blessing, then you are to raise your children according to his blueprint. In Proverbs Chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not necessarily a promise, that's a principle. You abide by that principle, and you instruct, and you... And continue to invest in the lives of your children and when they are old in regards to their bent not just in terms of you instructing them in the things of God but how God has uniquely gifted them and bent them in terms not just of morality but in terms of how God has given them unique characteristics and traits and desires and, and will to do different things in different careers God has gifted them with that and as you as you shape them when they are young When they are older, they go out and they do what God has called them to do and they will not depart from it. So follow God's blueprint. That's how you depend on God to build the home. Secondly, not only depend on God to provide the blueprint, but to involve you in the process of building the home. In verse one, in the first part, there are two builders, right? God is described as the builder, but also it says, um, they who labor... without the Lord, labor in vain. So who are the they there? We're talking about parents. We're talking about fathers. Not only is God a builder, you're a builder, and you have an opportunity to partner with God to build the home. Listen, you're not the primary builder of your home, whether you think it or not. God is. If you think you're the primary builder of your home, what you will build will only be done in vain and ultimately it will not find the blessing and the fruitfulness that God wants to give. And so when it comes to depending on God to build the home, you recognize that you're partnering with Him as you've been given children as a stewardship over which you are to oversee. So we're reminded we are to partner with God and say, God, how is it that you want me to partner with you in order to build this home? My wife and I, we celebrated our eight-year anniversary this week. I went into one of the stores and I was buying something and I was talking to the lady and she said, how many years are you celebrating? And I said, eight. And she said, wow, you, you made it over that, that seven-year itch. And I said, oh, <laughs> glad to hear. Well, my wife and I, after... <laughs> We were, uh, sp- spent the evening, we, we, we were sitting down on the couch and uh, we were with our kids. And so we said, Kids, you want to watch our, our old wedding video? Just the short one, version, the seven minute version. And as they were watching the video, we have also an opportunity to think back and reflect on our vows that day. And for me, when I wrote my vows, I wanted to write them in light of Scripture. And I wanted to promise my wife that I was going to be a leader in the home in three ways. I really believe this is the blueprint we have in regards to God's word. As fathers and husbands, we've been called to be providers in the home, protectors in the home, and pastors in the home. In light of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, in light of 1 Timothy chapter 5, Verse 8, husbands and fathers are to be protectors, providers, and pastors in the home. And so when I had the opportunity to marry my wife, I made her those vows in light of Scripture, but not until you actually do life. Not until you begin to see what it means to be married. Then you have one child and a second child and a third child. You really start to understand what it means to be a protector and a provider and a pastor to the home. First, as fathers and husbands, we've been called to be protectors. Not just protectors of their physical well-being, but of their emotional well-being, of their spiritual well-being. We're reminded that we have an adversary who... who who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, an adversary who, who goes around seeking whom he may devour, and those who are most vulnerable among us are our children, and so we need to protect them. We need to be on guard in regards to what they have on their tablets, in regards to what they have on their cell phones, whatever age or stage they may be at. In regards to the people you allow them to be around, we need to protect our children. Secondly, we need to provide for the home. We need to provide for our families. We need to provide for our children. <coughs> First, <coughs> First Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse off than an unbeliever. Husband is not just to provide financially and um, physically, but is to provide emotionally, provide spiritually, to shepherd the hearts of, Uh, of the family to shepherd the heart of his wife and to shepherd the heart of his children and so uh, a father and a husband is to be a provider and then thirdly a, a husband and father is to be a pastor husbands fathers in the room you are to shepherd your home you are the one who should be the primary one initiating spiritual things in your home when it comes to family devotions When it comes to sitting down to pray over a meal, you should be the one who initiates that. When you say on Sunday morning, we're going to church and we're going to worship the Lord, husbands, you are the ones who are are called to be the ones who initiate those things because you are the pastor of the home. And that's the blueprint that we really see in Scripture. And so when we're talking about what it means to be Uh, A father and a husband, we are reminded that we depend on the Lord to invite us in on the process as we follow his blueprint that we see in Scripture. So we guard against um, the danger of self-sufficiency and depend on the Lord by means of depending on God to build the house. Secondly, depending on God to protect the city or to protect the home that you built, to protect your family. The text goes on to say in verse 1, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless God is involved in your security system and protecting your family and protecting your home, there, if God isn't involved in it, what makes you think that it's going to be successful? You can have the best security system in the world, but if God is not involved in it, you're still going to feel the burden of worry and the burden of anxiety because anything or anyone could break in at any time, but no one is like our God. You know, I love Psalm 46. And it reminds us of our God who is our protector. And as we do due diligence as fathers, as we partner with God to protect our family and our home physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're also reminded God's working behind the scenes. Psalm 46 tells us the peace we have. God is our refuge and strength, a present help in time. Of need. But then the text goes in to talk about the time of need that he's speaking of. Therefore, we will not fear, even if the earth be removed. I don't know about you, but that's scary. The earth suddenly begins to fall out. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we're not just talking about flooding. We're talking about floods that are so great that the mountains are starting to wash away. I mean, that's scary stuff. And then it says, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, earthquakes begin to happen. That's a scary moment. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, the present help in time of need. In Your family, there are scary times. There are things that are outside of your control. But as a father and as a husband who recognizes that God is the primary protector of your home, as you partner with him, you can rest with peace of mind knowing that he's going to care for you and he's going to care for your family. God is the ultimate protector of the home. And then we have an opportunity to partner along. Side of him. That's a wonderful reminder and that should encourage us and give us peace of mind when it comes to protecting our families and protecting our homes, especially when it comes to all of the, the, the things that we're concerned about in our culture. As you equip your children, as, as you instruct them in the word of the Lord, when they come into contact with things that you're concerned about in the world, as you do your best to protect them, ultimately, once they are released from the home or They find themselves still in the home, but interacting with different people, you're reminded that they're in God's hands and he will take care of them. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You just need to trust that he's a present help in time of need. Depend on, on the Lord as protector. Thirdly, depend on the Lord as provider. Verse two goes on to say, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. In light of verse one, verse two is saying, it is vain apart from the Lord, if you do so independently of God, to rise up early, to go to bed late, and then to eat the bread of sorrow, eat the bread of anxious toil, anxious work and labor. And so this is not saying that we shouldn't wake up early or go to bed late as we work to provide for our homes and for our families. It's not saying that you shouldn't shouldn't go to bed tired, but what it is saying is that you should include God as you work for the bread that you eat and that provides sustenance for your family. So we're reminded, if you do so without the Lord, you do so in vain. And so as you seek to provide for the family, as God has called you to, you you recognize that he is the provider. Someone might say, well, I don't get that because I'm the one who works and I'm the one who gets the paycheck and I'm the one who buys the food and I'm the one who provides for the bills to get paid. Yeah, but who's the one who gave you the job? Who's the one who provided you the strength to work? Who's the one who gives you rest at night? Who's the one who provides you everything you need for life and for godliness? It's him, and we recognize that he is the provider of all of it. And so what we're reminded of in regards to this text is that God provides meaning when it comes to work. In other words, my prayer is that you don't look back on your life and say, of all the anxious toil that I worked Of all the bread of sorrow that I ate, of all the things that I looked back on, God wasn't involved in it, and so it was pointless. No, what we're told here is God gives meaning to our work. And when God is the one we recognize as the provider of all things, who gives us the strength to work and the ability to do that and to provide, that adds meaning to life. That makes life fruitful. That makes life a blessing. And that's what our text is telling us. Not only does God um, um, add meaning to our work, he also provides rest from our work. The text continues. It says, For so he gives his beloved sleep. When we're talking about sleep, we're talking about rest. You know, sometimes we find ourselves going through the... Through the daily grinds of life, uh, eating the bread of anxious toil. You go to bed tired and anxious and you wake up tired and anxious, worried about your day when you do so independently of the Lord. Just going about your routine day after day after day, eating the bread of anxious toil. But what the text tells us here is God not only gives meaning, he gives rest so that you don't have to stay awake all night thinking about these things, being anxious about these things, worried about these things. He gives you rest. I like a quote from uh, uh, John Piper who said this about sleep. sleep. Sleep is very humbling. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with sickness." The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. The cure, uh, to cure us of the disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. You know, that's such a good quote because it's a reminder that the reason we need rest and the reason we need sleep is because God is God and we are not. How much work could we get done, right? I mean, how much ministry could we get done? How much more could we do for the kingdom of God if God allowed us to stay awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Lord, we can finish the Great Commission. We can finish the task. We can take the gospel to the ends of the earth quicker. But God tells us, no, it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on me. I'm the provider. Don't look to yourself to provide for your needs. Look, to him. So as we walk through these first two verses, we're reminded of the danger to guard against when it comes to our self-sufficiency. As we try to do life independent of God, as we try to build a house or a family or a home, as we try to protect a city or protect our family in any different ways that we've been called to, or as we provide for our families we're reminded that we are to involve God in the process and depend upon Him as the primary builder, as the primary provider, as the primary protector. And so this morning, the first responsibility of fathers is that we would heed this warning and learn to depend upon God. If you're going to learn to depend upon God as a father, the first step is by means of prioritizing your personal relationship with God. I have to ask this this morning to all the fathers in this room, and this is also relevant to all believers. How's your relationship with God this morning? How's your relationship with God? Uh, If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord to forgive your sins and to give you the gift of everlasting life, the first step is not try to be a better provider, a better protector. The first step is not to be a better at any of a better builder. What it's saying here is your first step is you just need to get to know God. Get to know who Jesus is, who reveals God. To know that you and I are born into this world sinful and separated and that what we need most to be a good father and a good husband is to recognize our need for Christ receive forgiveness of sins so that God will give us a new heart and if God will give us a new heart we can be the godly husband God called us to be and that our wives long for and desire if we get a new heart then can we be the the godly fathers that our children long for and desire it begins with a personal relationship with Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. So if you know Jesus this morning, the next question is, how's your prayer life? How's your time spent in the Word? If I were to sit down with you right now and I would say, how's your prayer life? Most of us would say, well, it's not where it should be. (laughs) There are some things that I need to do better. And so the question is, what are you prioritizing in terms of prayer And if I could ask you one question further, how's your prayer life? When do you pray? How long do you pray? What do you you pray about? How do you know what to pray about? Second question, how's your time in the Word? Do you read a devotional every day? Are you reading through a a certain book in the Bible? How do you choose where to read in the Word of God? And so the question would be, how's your prayer life? How's your time alone with God in His Word? And then... What's God doing and working in and through that? And another question is, how's your relationship with the local church? God has not called us simply to attend the corporate gathering of God's people, but to be a part of the family. The church is not the building. It's not 1660 Mohawk Boulevard. The church is made up of, of, of the redeemed people of God who gather together as a people. And we're reminded that the best thing you can do as a father is prioritize being a part of your church family, not just attending a service, but being a part of the local church, being a part of the family of God. And so first and foremost, our first our first responsibility as fathers and all believers is to heed the warning, and guard against self-sufficiency and depend upon the Lord and continue to grow in our dependence upon the Lord. Secondly, receive the blessing of verses three to five. Receive the blessing. The text tells us how we are to see children. The way that you receive the blessing as fathers is to enjoy the blessing of what it means to be a father. Enjoy the blessing of having children. The text goes on to say in verse three, behold, take a look at this. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The first thing we're reminded about children is as fathers, we should see our children as an inheritance, as a heritage from God. Um, When it speaks of an inheritance, isn't it interesting? When we grow old, we give our children an inheritance, but we're told here that in regards to an inheritance when we receive children and God blesses us with children, that is our inheritance. And that means children are valuable. If your parents or, uh, or somebody leaves you an inheritance, whether it's a piece of, of real estate or it's a money in the bank account, what are you going to do? You would say, hey, I want to get that as soon as I can. Get my hands on it. Transfer it to my account. I got some real estate that I can be investing in because I've received it as an inheritance. If something is an inheritance, that means it's valuable. I don't want to see children as a barrier as a burden. I see them as a great blessing. They are a heritage from the Lord. And interesting, the, the Old Testament, the promised land, was referred to as an inheritance, a heritage from the Lord. How much more children? How much more the blessing that God provides in children. And so first, we're called to see children as a heritage from the Lord. Secondly, we're called to see children as a reward. A reward. The text goes on to say, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit (coughs) of the womb is a reward. What we're reminded of is that God is the one who gives the gift of children. And we're reminded that if we have the blessing to have a child, we're blessed indeed. And we know that it's from God. And we trust in his sovereign purposes, how many children he gives us, if he gives us children, if we are able to have children of our own, if God calls us to adopt a child or maybe be a spiritual parent in the life of another child, we're reminded that God is the provider of these things and we look to him for it. And so what it tells us here is that the fruit of the womb is a reward. In other words, children are a blessing once again. Unfortunately, in our culture, we don't see children as blessings. We see them as burdens to endure. You talk to young people, especially today, a lot of times they'll say they're a barrier to my career, so we're not ready to have children. They're a barrier to our future. They're going to take up time. They're going to take up energy. We're not ready to have children. But that may may be how our culture talks about children. But look how God talks about children. We're told that children are a reward. They're a great blessing. They're not a burden or a barrier to avoid. They're a blessing to embrace. I guess until you become a father, you don't really, really grasp that fully. Man, I think one of the greatest gifts I've been given from the Lord is the gift of my three children. What a reward they are. What a blessing they are. How they fill our home with so much joy. They don't hinder my relationship with my wife. They make it even better. I get to see my wife in different ways that I wouldn't without those children that God has blessed us with. And so, children should be seen as a reward to be received. If you're going to see your children as a reward, if you have children and God has blessed you with children, I'd like to encourage us to let them know that they're more of a blessing than a burden. Because sometimes, man, kids can feel a little bit like a burden. I can tell you, this past week, my wife was out on Friday uh, meeting with somebody, and so I just, I had the bright idea, I'm going to take all three kids out, I got a five-year-old, three-year-old, and an eight-month-old, I said, I'm going to take them out to Denny's. So <laughs> I took them out to Denny's, and uh, as I sat down, the, the, the lady at the, you know, our, our server, she said, oh, is it daddy daycare today? And I said, well, possibly. And uh, as we were sitting down with kids, we had ordered the food. Everything was going all right. And everything went wrong as Elijah grabbed the hot coffee and poured it all over both of us. Usually I'm pretty calm. At that moment, I was thinking, we're we're rolling out. But we stuck around. (laughs) We finished our meal. Sometimes children can feel a little bit like a burden, and we need to be reminded they're a great blessing. And we need to remind them they're a blessing. Not only tell them verbally they're a blessing, but show them they're a blessing. Whatever age or stage they may be at, you are to show them what a blessing they are in your life. And you get to know your kids, right? They have certain bents. They have certain unique idiosyncrasies and characteristics. It's interesting for my five-year-old, her love language is really quality time. And so if we sit down and and say, hey, we're going to just go out to to Dairy Queen and grab an ice cream together, man, she's smiling, grinning from ear to ear as she has that special time with you. Our three-year-old, you just give her a piece of chocolate. That's her love language. It's the gift (laughs) of sweets. I mean, you get to see how, how your children know that you love them. And so tell them you care for them. Tell them they're a blessing and a reward, and then show them that they're a blessing and a reward as well. Thirdly, children are described as arrows in the hands of a warrior. The text goes on to say in verse 4, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. What we're reminded of is that as fathers, you need to see yourself as a warrior. As a warrior, you're reminded that you're a warrior and you are a part of the kingdom of life, putting, pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And God has called you to go and make disciples, to know God and to make him known to the ends of the earth, to make his name famous. What we want to do, the reason we're still here in Springfield or, or Eugenia, or wherever you live in Lane County, the reason you're here is in order to take as many people with you to heaven so that you make heaven more crowded. I don't know about you, but we want to see as many people in Springfield and Lane County, one for Christ as possible, because we want to finish the task that we've been given. So as fathers and husbands, you need to know that you are a warrior. And as a warrior, God has provided you if God has given you children. And we're not just talking about biological children. It may be a spiritual... You may be a spiritual father in the life of another. And if God has given you that blessing and opportunity, guess what? God has given you weapons, and those weapons are your children. They're arrows. I don't know if you've spent much time with those who are archers, but if someone is a warrior and you have a weapon, you use and depend upon uh, your weaponry. And so... Uh, one of our guys at our church—he hunts with bows and arrows—and so I asked him if I could have a few of his. Ah, don't worry, I won't toss them into the crowd. And he gave me different arrows, and I think that this—this this is what we're talking about. Children are like arrows. This first one is—is is, uh, not a dangerous one. You don't use this for hunting. Um, I don't know much about arrows and hunting. But this is what I was told this morning. This, this, one, <laughs> this one is for small game. So if you're hunting a squirrel, if you're hunting something of that nature, you can use this one. This, that one looks like it hurts a little bit. And then this one is for, for larger game. It's got, it's got sharp edges, three of them. And so if you're going after to hunt something larger, you'd use something like this. But what the text tells us is that children are described as arrows. Why is that? They are weapons in our hands that we are to use. How? Well, if children are arrows and we are the warriors as fathers who hold them in our hands, we're reminded that we are to do three things with our children. First, we are called to shape them. Now, I received these, and I'm sure uh, Mike, who handed me these, Mike White gave these to me this morning. Uh, I'm sure he bought them. But for this one, he'll sharpen these edges if he's going to go hunting. But in in Solomon's day and age, if you're going to go out and you're going to go out hunting, you don't necessarily can go to the sports goods store, right? I mean, you go pick up a, a stick and it's not straight and you've got to shape it into an arrow. And what we're told in Scripture about children is they need shaping like arrows. They need shaping because when children are born into this world, the Bible tells us they're born crooked. In Psalm 51, we're told by the by David, that that in my mother's womb, I was born into iniquity. And so there is a bent in the heart of our children that's bent not towards God and obedience to him, but towards rebellion and disobedience. I mean, you're thinking, man, did you just tell me my beautiful baby, my beautiful child has a crooked heart? You know where they got it from. They got it from you. You and I are born into this world with crooked hearts, and the only thing that can straighten them is a personal relationship with Jesus who begins to give us a changed heart and shapes those hearts so that we they can be useful. I want you to know that the best way that you can shape the heart of your child is to commit to share the good news of the gospel with them daily. Is to point them to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's to talk about Jesus as you walk along the way, as you sit down for dinner, as you go out and have an activity in the park, as you have conversations on the telephone, whether at whatever age or stage they may be at, the greatest blessing we have as parents is to introduce our children to a personal relationship with Jesus. And so first, we're reminded their hearts need shaping. They're born into this world with crooked hearts, but the only thing that can straighten them is not even discipline, but it's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Not only do they need to be shaped, but they need to be sharpened. If you're going to take this guy out and you're going to go out hunting, you want to make sure it's effective. And so uh, with these three sides of these blades, if you can see that, wow, that's sharp, Um, Uh, You've got to sharpen the edges. And so I wanted to share just some ways to sharpen our children, um, uh, not just leading our children to Christ, as we've already said, but commit to teach our children God's word. That's how we sharpen them. Deuteronomy 6, let me read that this morning. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently through your children, and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now, uh, some Jews will take that literally. They'll take the word of God and put it into these uh, little uh, places and they'll put it on, as frontlets on their head and tie it around their head. And that's one way to do it. But what the scripture is telling us is make God's word a priority in your life and make God's word a priority in the lives of your children. Talk about it, sing about it, pray about it as often as possible. <coughs> Next, commit to lead by example godly character lead by example when it comes to your godly character if you don't have a personal relationship with jesus and you don't enjoy walking with him and talking with him getting to know him in the word of god and prayer uh, what makes you think that your children will want to As parents, we should lead by example. We should get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we express our love and our devotion to him because of who he is and what he accomplished on our behalf, we lead by example. And you can't lead by example if you don't spend quality time with them. And so the reminder and the encouragement is prioritize time with your children. It can be difficult sometimes. Life gets busy but it's worth it. The investment is worth it. And then fourthly, commit to discipline your children. That's how you sharpen them. As they grow in the Lord and get to know the Lord, we discipline the Proverbs. <coughs> Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I want you to, to hear the heart of that proverb. It's not that you discipline them out of anger. It's not that you discipline them uh, as a desire to abuse them or some uh, ugly way like that. But it says you discipline them because you love them. And your love for them and your desire to shape them so that they're not a burden but a blessing when they head out of the home into a relationship in which they're going to be married or they head into a job is that they've been shaped in such a way by discipline when they are young so that when they are old they stick with it and so he who spares the rod hates his son but he who loves dis- loves him disciplines him promptly the que- begs the question what's better when it comes to shaping your children corporal punishment physical punishment or verbal punishment the scripture seems to point to both. The answer is yes. And the, and the manner in which you discipline your children as you shepherd their hearts might be different for one child than it is for another. When you shepherd the heart of your child, you don't do so to abuse them. You, Out of love, you discipline them, and the Scripture instructs us in that manner. Proverbs 29, 17 says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will will give delight to your soul. To encourage us this morning, as we discipline our children, we should never do so out of anger. If you find yourself in a place where you can't control how you're going to discipline your children, maybe take a break. Take a take a step back take some time to pray for yourself take a deep breath and then meet with your children but i would like to suggest this this morning still i really believe there is a place for a child seeing the anger that sin brings those whom who who are who, who they bring their parents because in times when when you are angry i think of the father's wrath and anger when when, when we do something that that, that sins against God, God has his wrath against it. I mean, think about this. When a child, and you have like a three or four-year-old, and you say, you're not gonna cross that street without me holding your hand, and they start running into the street, they need to see the anger it brings your face. And out of love, you tell them, we're gonna discipline you right now because this is gonna cost you your life. And so there are times when children need to see your, your anger, but you also need to exercise Self-control, you do so out of love and you shepherd their hearts as you go about disciplining your children. So commit to lead by, uh, by, by example, commit to discipline your children, commit to teach them the word of God and to co- commit to lead your children to Christ as often as you can. So you, you shape them, you sharpen them, and then if you're going to be effective, you, you aim them and you send them out. Uh, the thing about archery is if, if I had a bow and arrow, it wouldn't be good if I pointed it at you guys. I mean, we'd be ducking right now. <laughs> but the point of taking a bow and arrow is that you eventually release it. As it's been shaped, as you have disciplined, as you have instructed, as you have, have, have committed yourself to pointing them to Jesus, then you begin to aim and release. What do you aim at as a warrior? Part of the kingdom of God and part of the kingdom of light, pressing against the kingdom of darkness, your children are sent into the world on mission. Your children are sent knowing that their primary duty is to make disciples who know God and make him known. So if God has called them into the university setting, that they would know God and make him known. If they've been called into the workplace, that they would know God and make him known. If they've been called into a particular neighborhood, that they would know God and make him known because you've you've shaped them. You've pointed them to Jesus, and now you release them as arrows that push back the kingdom of darkness and push forward the kingdom of light as people get to know God and as they make him known as well as we make Jesus famous as they go out and seek and save that which is lost. And so as we release our children and aim them at the world around them in order to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth, we're reminded we're sending them out on mission. Not just sending them out on an academic scholarship. We're not just sending them out on an athletic scholarship. We're sending them out as those who are going to proclaim the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who would listen. Listen, as fathers... Your children are like arrows in your hands as you have an opportunity as a warrior to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. See your children as a heritage. See your children as a reward. Um, See your children as arrows in the hands of a warrior and then receive the blessing of children. The text concludes, for as happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Your quiver is the place where you store your arrows, and however many are in your quiver, consider that indeed a blessing. Uh, I read this from H.B. Charles, who once said this, um, if you have a quiver uh, full of many children, you're blessed. If you have a quiver full of one or two children, you're blessed. But if you're Quiver is empty. You're also blessed. Let me read this to you. You are still blessed if you have no arrows in your quiver. Some arrows have been dropped from other quivers that you can pick up and put in your own quiver. Remember that God knows, God cares, and God is able. Psalm 113.9 says, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And so the reminder and the encouragement this morning is maybe you don't have children of your own, but every now and again somebody drops a child from their quiver and you might have the opportunity to pick them up. Whether it's to be a spiritual father or mother in the local church, whether it might be to adopt a child, whether it might be to foster a child, as you continue to seek the Lord and what His will is, For your life, you are reminded that you are blessed because God is the provider of all of these things. The text goes on to say, happy or blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Then it says, they shall not be ashamed. Why might someone be ashamed? Well, the text goes on to say, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. In the, in the Old Testament times, the gates of the city was where business would take place, where you would take care of different things that would go on. And what children are described as are a blessing to their parents. And the reason they're a blessing to their parents is because as you care for, protect, provide, and build into the, your children when they are young, the text is telling us as they grow older, they stand up, protect, and walk alongside of you when you're older and even at the gate you're not ashamed because they know your character they know who you are because your children defend your character at the gate you can fool those in the church perhaps in regards to who you are as a follower of Jesus but you can't fool your children Children can spot hypocrisy. And one of the greatest blessings we might have is as our children, as we care for them, as we love them, as we instruct them in the things of the Lord, that they would grow up and stand by us and protect and provide our needs as we grow older. Children are a heritage from the Lord, children are a gift from the Lord. Children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. Children are a blessing to those whose quiver is full of them. What is your responsibility as a father this morning? Our responsibility is to heed the warning against self-sufficiency, depend upon the Lord, but also receive the blessing of being a father. What we're reminded this morning is there is no perfect father. I'm far from a perfect father. There's only one perfect father, and it's our God in heaven. He is the ultimate example that we are to follow. And as fathers, one of the best ways that we can be the best father we can be, whether we've made mistakes in the past or not, is to commit ourselves moving forward, whatever age or stage we may be at, to follow the example of our heavenly father and and, and pour into the lives of our children as God directs us and as God blesses us. And so my encouragement to our fathers this morning, keep your eyes on the a heavenly Father, our perfect Father, and follow His example. And because it's Father's Day, I want to encourage all of us this morning to pray for fathers. Not just to pray for fathers, if you're here today to, to thank God for your earthly father. Some of you are thinking that's not easy to do, that's downright difficult, that's almost impossible because maybe some of you did not know your father. Maybe your father was somebody who was not an example to follow but an example to avoid. I'd like to suggest this this morning, as an image bearer of the living God, take time to thank God for your father, whether you knew him or not, but not only that, thank God that he was an example he might have been an example to avoid. He might have been an example to follow. But take time to thank God for the father that God gave you. Because if he gave you anything, he, he at least gave you life. And that's a reason to be thankful to God. You know, when I think of my father, I'd have had him for eight years of my life. And uh, in the home, he, he came to Christ later in life. And so in the home, he was a great example to follow. He'd rise up early, digging into the word, praying at night. The last thing we remember before we would go to bed, he'd come into our room and he'd pray for us when we should have been fast asleep. But while he was a good example to follow in the home, he wasn't the best example to follow in the car. I don't know what came over my father when he got in the car, but he had the worst road rage I've ever seen. And we didn't live in a house that, we didn't live in a city that was large. We lived in a small rural town of 2,500 people with two stoplights. Stop and so if you're going to have road rage in the small town, that's pretty bad. And so I learned from my father what it meant to follow his example in the home and in the word, but an example to avoid when it came to road rage in the car. And Lord willing, God is continuing to work on me there. So take time to thank God for your father that God has given you, but also take time to pray for fathers. I want to glue this message this morning this way because I want to take a moment to, uh, to give our fathers an opportunity to pray and uh, whether you're a father here today, whether you're a spiritual father, or you're, uh, I just want to have all the men, would, if you're a man in the room this morning, would you just take a moment to, to stand? I, just keep standing, it's okay. Won't make you do anything too crazy. Boy or, or man, and, and whatever age or stage, guys, if you, if you guys just wanted to stand, I, I want to take a moment with all of the guys in the room to, to sing this prayer, Make Me a Servant. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant, make me a servant today. And we're gonna sing that song. And after we sing that song, I want you to sing that song as a prayer that, that God would make you a servant. And then after, you, after we sing that together as, as men in this room, I wanna ask all those others who are in this church to just reach out and put your hand on one of the guys in the church, and we're going to pray for our fathers. We're going to pray for the men of the church, and we're going to pray that we can be the the servants of God that God has called us to be. And so, guys, can we sing that song? Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak, and may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant, make me a servant, make me a servant. servant." Would you reach out a hand if they're near you would you touch them put it on your shoulder let us pray for the men and the fathers here today heavenly father we come before you today and we are grateful that we can pray to you who is described as our heavenly father you are a perfect father While as earthly fathers, we may not be perfect, and while we may not have had an earthly father, we thank you that we have you in our life and you in our hearts. I wanna pray, Father, over every man in this church, whatever age or stage that they may be at, and we pray that you would touch them in a powerful way, even in this moment, and by your Holy Spirit, guide and direct them. Father, that they would not be And they would not be distracted by the things of this world, investing in those things that don't bring any lasting value, but that they would invest in the eternal, that they would invest in the spiritual, that they would be warriors who have been sent out to go out and make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Father, pray for our fathers. We thank you for them whether they were an example to follow or an example to avoid, we pray that you would continue to work in their hearts and their lives. We pray for young fathers. We pray for fathers-to-be. We pray, Lord, for fathers who have children and and children of their own who have children's children. Lord, we just pray for all of the men and the fathers in this room here today that you would bless them, that you would keep them, and that you would continue to bless them indeed. Father, I pray for any father, but also anybody in this room here today who hasn't made Jesus their Savior and (coughs) Lord. I pray (coughs) in this moment that they would be able to express this in their hearts are allowed. Father, I know I need you. I admit that I've, when I came into this world, I, I was born with a crooked heart, bent towards rebellion and not obedience. But I also know that that's why Jesus came. He came to go to a cross to die for my sins and forgive me. Today I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we praise you for these things and we ask them all in the name of Jesus, amen.